1: What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome into the Thursday, January the 23rd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we've got some senior bowl practice coverage kind of. I'll get you the update on which prospects will be catching the Dolphins' eye, plus some excellent off-season notes from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald and some thoughts on those notes. And how about a player that could wind up on the board at pick 18, surprisingly for the Dolphins? All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. leave us a rating, leave us a review, Go ahead and follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL, follow the show at LockedOnFins, and of course LockedOnDolphins.com, your number one blog in the entire LockedOn network. Let's go ahead and jump right into a very busy show. That's And the very first item on the agenda today before we get into senior bowl notes is from Pro Football Talk. Chris Greer tells Mike Florio, the Dolphins fully expect Ryan Fitzpatrick to return next season and 2018 was the best year of his career. I thought 2019 personally on tape was even better than 2018. So for me, I'm excited to see what he can do in 2020 as he continues to progress at this stage of his career and age 37, he could even have the best year of his career. Now, Barry Jackson dropped a bombshell piece on the Miami Herald on Tuesday afternoon, and that piece was just chock full of good nuggets and information for your Miami Dolphins heading into the offseason, and it started with the draft, and of course, the quarterback everyone's focusing on. It's actually titled, Tungavailoa Reportedly Ahead of Schedule, Dolphins Face This, other tough decision. And the Tua stuff from Barry here is just kind of the same fodder regarding the progress he's made in his recovery. We heard Mike Garofolo report that Tua is already working out hard in these Tua day sessions and making exceptional progress. And that's what prompted his agent, Lee Steinberg, to announce that he would hold that 60 to 80 throw workout in April. And once that prognosis is clear... He is going to have a ridiculous market, not just from the Dolphins, but from those other quarterback needy teams in the five, six, seven, all the way down to ten range. And so Miami has to figure out what cost they are comfortable paying to get up those two spots. Where from there, you can essentially guarantee you're going to get a chance to draft the Alabama quarterback. Here is the exact Garofalo quote from the piece on the Miami Herald from Barry Jackson: "Quote the reason that there's optimism is people around him say you wouldn't know he had surgery six or eight weeks ago, whatever it was. The way he's." moving around, he's training twice a day with the first workout starting at 4.30 in the morning, he's getting a lot done, end quote. So good on Barry for getting that, but even more so for getting these nuggets. Up first, the Dolphins reportedly want safety Adrian Colbert, formerly of the Miami Hurricanes, back at safety, but more so for depth and competing possibly with Steven Parker, the rookie from this past season, and I'm okay in that capacity, but please, just please do not tell me that we're going to be content going back into the season with Colbert as the starter, as he was in December last year. His angles in the running game, just, I, not that good. He doesn't come down and match in coverage, and he's not rangy enough to be an impact middle of the field safety. Again, I'll take him as depth, but you got to do better than that. And one of the guys they could be after is the Patriots veteran, Devin McCourty. Now, Barry Jackson says not to rule him out, and that there's no official word that Miami are actually interested, but Brian Flores has mentioned several times that he likes the player, and so you can see that connection there. And I still believe that McCourty would retire before he ever left New England. But Greg Rosenthal of NFL Media mentioned the possibility of a teardown rebuild there in New England. And I still firmly believe that Joe Tooney and Kyle Van Noy will have day one offers from Miami. And McCourty makes a lot of sense as the communicator of that defense on the back end. And essentially, you could drop a Pro Bowl production type of player into a huge position of need and the most important position in this defense under Brian Flores. So I'm for it. But even Barry admits it's just speculation. But speaking of Kyle Van Noy and Joe Tooney, Barry also mentions Miami could have offers in place for both of those players when they do inevitably hit the market this coming March. That'll be a great sign. Again, day one signings. You give me Joe Tooney, you give me Kyle Van noy I feel great about the offseason after just one day. Some other notes from that article, the Dolphins will prioritize giving multi-year extensions to restricted free agents Vince Beagle and punter Matt Hawk. We saw Beagle play a variety of positions and really be the most consistent edge player and consistent pass rusher for the Dolphins this year off that edge. Matt Hawk got a lot better this season. Obviously gives you a lot by way of the special teams fakes, throwing the football, that kind of stuff. But he was much better kicking the football this year, which of course is his most important role. And how about this bombshell from Barry Jackson on Chad O'Shea? Quote, one player said nobody was very upset about the dismissal of offensive coordinator Chad O'Shea because some, not all, Just some didn't like his play calling. They liked O'Shea personally, but apparently no tears were lost or shed, I should say, when Chad O'Shea left the building. And speaking of coaches and replacements, Brian Flores had a quote in here about the hiring or the appointment of a former high school coach in Kirk Kuntz to the assistant defensive back's position with the Miami Dolphins. And Flores had this to say about it, quote, it's funny, I think there are good coaches in Pop Warner, high school, college, NFL level. I think there's this idea that because it's a high school coach, he's not ready to coach in the NFL. I just don't agree with that. Good teachers are good teachers are good teachers. That's what coaching is about. It's about putting guys in good position, teaching the fundamental, teaching the techniques. In my conversations with Kurt, I got the same sense that he was definitely that. There are actually a lot of coaches in the National Football League that were high school coaches at one time, end quote. So as always, Barry Jackson with the hard-hitting stuff about this team that you're not going to get from many other beat writers. He goes deep and gets the information. Really appreciate him for doing that. From the Miami Herald, again, the piece is titled, Tunga reportedly ahead of schedule, Dolphins face this other tough decision. And before we get the page turned here on the Senior Bowl coverage, I just want to make a note about how much worse the coverage was this year from the telecast, and there's a reason why I don't have an article up on LockedOnDolphins.com and won't for tomorrow, because there's really not a lot they offer on the broadcast version. I only saw a handful of one-on-ones throughout the day, a lot of team period installs, and we'll talk about the way those coaches ran those practices too, but The ESPN coverage, they had no commentary. Back when it was Mayock and Charles Davis, or now Daniel Jeremiah and Charles Davis, you get notes on every single player. You get these drill notes about what to look for in the drill, and most importantly, an evaluation of each rep. And I love, love, loved the background they gave on those players. We didn't get any of that on ESPN. All they talked about were the quarterbacks. They spent about three hours on Jalen Hurts. That's an exaggeration. They gave the coaching staffs way too much airtime. Like, I get that they're mic'd up, but I don't need to see them talking. Just show the damn play while you play their audio. Then, you've got Mike Tannenbaum talking about God knows what. Just a train wreck of a broadcast. Then, on top of that, you've got the Lions staff and Matt Patricia just wasting time all practice long. Way too many fundamental drills. Like, this isn't about teaching players fundamentals. It's about putting them in a position to ev- evaluate their skill sets and real quick, That is what Miami does in training camp, or at least they did last year, a bunch of fundamental drills and techniques and really drilling those core principles, but that's because you're teaching techniques and trying to establish a program. This is not the stage for that. That's not what the Senior Bowl is for, but luckily, we did get about an hour of coverage from the NFL Network, and we'll come back and touch on those notes on the other side of the podcast, as well as the practice updates, which players shined, and who I'm watching more tape on as possible fits with your Miami Dolphins, but before that... Are you the type of fan that knows football so well that you could choose any game and call the outcome? Well, MyBookie is the place for you because they let you turn all your sports knowledge into cash in your wallet. Between football season, NBA, the college hoop season, it's time to get off the sideline and get in on the action with MyBookie. If you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little and win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites in the games, parlays are perfect because it lets you bet multiple games together for a larger payout. So if you're gonna bet this season, do the smart thing and go to MyBookie.ag because no one gives you more ways to win than they do. If you join right now, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit $2,000, you get an extra $1,000 in free money to play with. Just use promo code locked on to activate the offer. Once again, that's promo code locked on to take advantage of my bookies generous up offer. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. We left you off on the first segment talking about some notes from Daniel Jeremiah and Mike Garafolo and the gang over at the NFL Network who had coverage from the practices for about an hour. They would go back and forth between that and Super Bowl coverage at the NFL Network studio. So not the best coverage this year, but we're doing our best with what we have. And I want to get back into that segment and talk about Daniel Jeremiah again regarding the fanfare around Tua Tonga-Vailoa. And he had this to say on the broadcast, quote, There are a lot of fans of Tua's play on the field, so if the medical checks out, I don't envision him getting outside the top five, especially considering the teams at 5, 6, and 7 with a need at the position. That points to a possible trade-up to number three with the Detroit Lions, end quote. So just consider that it's late January and we are already trending towards that direction. Pretty clear what's going to happen here. I think you have to go to number three to get your quarterback. Another note I took from the practices or before was them discussing, and by they I mean Charles Davis, Jeremiah, even Charlie Cashley was in there, comparing the Lions to the 49ers as the blueprint for a quick turnaround and teams that coached the Senior Bowl the last couple of years. And we know the Lions are on the hook for a quick turnaround because of the precarious job security of both Matt Patricia and Bob Quinn. And they were mentioning the ability to get Stafford back and load up that defense. And that to me is where the big caveat comes in because Casserly makes a great point, one of the first times I ever said that in my life, how the defense needs strong corner play and they don't really have anything outside of Darius Slay and Justin Coleman inside. So Jeffrey Okuda makes a lot of sense as your other perimeter cornerback to get you to a better defense, to get you more wins, to keep your job for 2021. And so does Derek Brown if you want to go that Niners route and load up your front four with pass rushers. So I really don't think that Tua is in danger of being selected by the Lions but he is in danger of going off the board to number three to a team that wants to trade up and go get him. Jeremiah also mentioned some of the great interior pass rushers there are in this game or this week of practices. He mentioned Jason Strobridge of North Carolina. We're going to talk about him in just one second. And Neville Gallimore, who both have just fantastic get-offs off the line of scrimmage and he mentioned Strobridge first above him and Kinlaw who has also had a great week down there in Mobile. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the players that were on the field on Wednesday. Marlon Davidson was not one of those guys. He rolled his ankle up on Tuesday and he is going to be done for the week and maybe this is a good thing because the Auburn edge slash just defensive lineman that plays multiple positions was probably going to play himself into a top 20 spot this week with his performance but now you might be able to get him at 26 or maybe if you're lucky at number 39. And my goodness, are there so many scheme fits at the edge position or just in that front seven in general that really tailor what Miami wants to do at those spots in this year's draft and free agency as well with Kyle Van Noy, Hell, there are just good edge prospects all throughout this draft, whether it's pick 18, 26, 39, 56, or 70 and beyond. And we go back here into that 70 and beyond range. And after what I've seen the last two days, I don't think Jason Strobridge is going to be available at that third round pick. Might have to take him in round number two. Just incredibly light feet, the ability to cross over step, change direction, and of course that will serve him very well in a defense that prioritizes twists and stunts and games from the front seven. Easy glide feet that you can pair with the big, heavy hands. He can strike you, he can get that arm over and really do work on offensive linemen. He beat Nick Harris, number one center on my entire draft board, handily on a one-on-one pass rush doing exactly that like I just talked about the arm over and crossover step Travis Gibson from Tulsa has good length and he plays with great outside leverage the initial punch to get inside the pads and keep that long arm move while he works down the line of scrimmage on outside zone runs love seeing that Bradley Anai the Utah edge we talk about all the time has had a very good week so far he has a devastating long arm that really allows him to control the point, two gap read the play and then corner off that edge when he decides it's time to go and get after the quarterback thought he had a good day on Wednesday as well on the inside there's one player that really really strikes my fancy it's Devon Hamilton of Ohio State and he is probably like in the 200s on the draft networks big board I think much more highly of him a top 100 type of player and he is a two-gap player, which is exactly what Miami does in this defense, but he also flashes that quickness and you can see the athletic ability as he constantly beats guys to the spot and resets the line of scrimmage. That to me, in terms of the quickness and two-gap ability, sounds like Christian Wilkins. So there you go for the comparison. And how about these quarterbacks? Justin Herbert's live arm is definitely the gem of the group, even more so in terms of pure strength and velocity than Jordan Love. But man, even in the seven-on-seven drills, I see the same major red flags that I don't trust him the same red flags that made me not trust Josh Rosen as a prospect just let that thing fly man like you don't have if you have to see it before you throw it you're not gonna it's not gonna work for you in this league that's not how the NFL works playing quarterback guys are too good guys are too fast and Daniel Jeremiah even mentions this in his top 50 which just released on Wednesday go check that out Let the football go, man. You're being way too patient, too hesitant to challenge those tight windows. With that arm, it should be different. The complete opposite, really. There was a great corner flat combination, a seven flat, where you have the inside receiver run to the corner and the outside receiver runs to the flat. And the corner opened wide up on Van Jefferson and Herbert just didn't even consider throwing the football there. He took the check down. That's what I see on his tape in Oregon all the damn time. And I hate seeing it. Jordan Love had a much better day than his first day. He trusted his eyes, and he did let it fly way more so than on Tuesday, where his accuracy was inconsistent, which was an issue for him. This past year at Utah State, Anthony Gordon go Cougs is a mess in his footwork, man. There is just no urgency, no pace, and no rhythm. His feet go dead way too often, and we saw that in the Apple Cup, at least if you watched that game with me for the seventh straight year losing it or seeing it this week as well at the Senior Bowl. That's going to really hurt his draft stock. He has to be remade from the ground up in that regard. Steven Montez and Shea Patterson they're not draftable just leave them off the list and sharing the backfield with the quarterbacks is of course the tailbacks and there were two that caught my eye at Wednesday's practice first was UCLA's Joshua Kelly he really has good patience but when he sees it he goes like he lets it develop but once he sees it he wastes no movement and gets into the gap into the hole and he also can work the backside which shows you good vision for zone schemes and as for his acumen in the passing game, Bucky Brooks made a mention on the broadcast that he was killing linebackers in the one-on-one receiver drill. So good for him there. And speaking of a running back that can catch the football, Antonio Gibson played both slot receiver and tailback at Memphis, kind of like Tony Pollard before him. And his production wasn't through the roof. He actually had 38 carries and 33 catches, a very unique comparison in terms of how his production shows up. And it was an eye-popping production. And you also might struggle finding out what he does that's exactly exceptional at the next level like just because a guy can do two things okay doesn't make him some great player you have to do something great to be a great player so he might have to figure that out and so he would be a good third day pick maybe a third or fourth running back on your roster who can return kicks cover kicks maybe captain your special teams unit and give you some splash plays on the offensive side as well and i know the receiver position in miami is at strongest but there are some good fits at this game at senior bowl down in mobile i've seen van jefferson compared to keenan allen of all people who would just be a perfect fit for Miami's offense if we are to assume it's going to be Tua. And Jefferson just gives these corners issues on every single rep that he runs, except for one guy who we'll talk about here in just one second, Denzel Mims from Baylor. I call him a bigger Chris Chambers because he's so high cut. He leaps out of the gym, has fantastic body control and awareness of the sidelines. Love the way he works the end line and the end zone. And he has that game-breaking speed as well to go on top of all that. Another smooth route runner and technician is KJ Hill. And there should be no surprise that he looks the part of the next good NFL receiver because he went to Ohio State where guys just produce receivers or that school produces receivers year in and year out. He sets up his route so gorgeously. If he has outside leverage, he can still find a way to get out there. I tweeted about that and Brian Hartline, the OSU receiver coach and former Miami Dolphin had a response about the ways you can get to that spot and that it's responsibility for the receiver to get to the spot the offensive coordinator's play call calls for. And there are a variety of ways to do that. I thanked him for that nugget. Thought it was very cool of him to drop in the comments there. And then, fittingly enough, he was later on the broadcast praised for the work he's done with the Ohio State receivers. And K.J. Hill, just the next good one there from the Buckeyes. James Prochet, the SMU product, same deal for him. Super smooth off the line. He can get his chest plate clean and get the arm over and get into a position where he can then stack defensive backs. And those good hands translate into good catching hands as well once he gets to the football at the top of the route. And he changes the angles to make himself a very tough press. He has that wiggle in the slot you would love in this offense. Courtney Davis from Texas A&M, same deal for him. Good wiggle and strength, but he's dropping a lot of footballs. That's got to change. And the most important position outside of quarterback on the offense this year for the Dolphins, of course, the Big Uglies. And this class is really growing on me every day. Not that it wasn't already a tackle, but on the inside as well, UW center Nick Harris has reportedly had a really bad week. I didn't see a ton of him on the broadcast version. We did see him get beat by Strobridge, but Daniel Jeremiah shared a clip where Harris flashes the quick hand. Hands and feet to follow along with the quick hands. He, to me, is still OC1. But Lloyd Cushenberry, he's getting close, man. He's impressive. He and Damian Lewis, the LSU right guard, they both play so low and with so much power and generate so much movement because of that. I'd be all for drafting both those guys on day number two. Cushenberry was the only one that even had a hope against Javon Kinlaw all day long. Lewis, meanwhile, was hitting second-level block after second-level block. He takes perfect angles in the running game. Matt Hennessy, the Temple Center, he's having a great week as well. Competitive, tough, smart player. And that is it for my offensive notes on the day. Let's take our last break here on the podcast and come back on the other side and talk about the defensive side of the ball on Wednesday's practice at the Senior Bowl. And I'll tell you about a player that might be in play for Miami at number 18 that previously would have been crazy to think about. We'll do that next. Locked on Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked on Fins. We talked about the defensive front on the earlier portion of this podcast, but we still have the linebackers and defensive backs to get to. Let's go ahead and start there with the linebackers and one player who I'm not sure if I could find a fit for him in the Dolphins defense, but Evan Weaver from Cal just keeps doing what he did all season long, his whole career at Cal Berkeley, just stacking up running plays, flowing downhill and making tackles. He is a stack backer extraordinaire, and what that means, you play off the football, typically stacked behind a defensive lineman, you fight your way through the trash, you beat a block, you make a tackle. He does that so well, better than anybody in this class, in my opinion. Now, guys that might be more scheme fits for Miami, Zach Bond from Wisconsin, he compares very favorably to Kyle Van Noy. and Brett Coleman actually made that exact comparison on his Senior Bowl wrap-up notes. Good inside and outside pass rush, long, explosive. And somebody asked me if that's what Andrew Van Ginkel is here to do. And I think there's different roles for those two guys because Bond has way better of a first step, has way better of a speed rush move, and just has more of a pass rush arsenal to his name than Van Ginkle ever did in college. And I tend to favor Van Ginkle more as a coverage and blitzer type, whereas Bond's a run edge defender and pass rush specialist as well. So there are different roles for those two guys, even though it comes playing the same position. Van Ginkle does better going backwards. Bond does better going forward, in my opinion. And how about Josh Uche from Michigan? We talk about Anthony Campanelli, the potential linebackers coach coming up from Michigan, but this guy is doing it in both phases of the game. He's sticky in coverage, recognizes the route concept, and takes calculated gambles in that short intermediate area, has some juice as a pass rusher, and he's one of these positionless guys that many folks are going to say, where do we play him? But that's exactly who we want in Miami, so he's perfect for the Dolphins that way. Then there were some defensive backs that looked really nice in this practice on Wednesday. Kyle Duggar from Lenore Ryan. I got a chance to watch some of his YouTube videos, which there's not much there. And if you're going to make a highlight video, like give me some stuff on defense, not just his punt returns, but you look at the punt returns. Explosive athlete, really good change of direction skills and range. He arrives with such force when he hits you. And the return ability really does showcase that COD and the instincts and range he has in that secondary both pair well with what Miami wants to do here. The Pittsburgh cornerback, Dane Jackson, I thought had a really good day on Tuesday, got beat vertically a few times on Wednesday, but he does compete and challenges everything the receivers do across from him. And again, that man coverage principle, the competitive principle to challenge the route the whole way through and play trail, that really is what they do here in Miami. And speaking of that trail technique, Troy Pride, the Notre Dame cornerback, had a great looking interception on a play where he got into trail technique, got into phase, he pressed and then mirror matched the pattern of the receiver across from him, didn't actually get hands on him, just mirrored him and really got himself into phase, played that trail beautifully, locked up Courtney Davis for the interception on the boundary side, comeback route. He ran the route for the receiver. That's the kind of stuff you want to see from a defensive back in these drills and his teammate Fellow Notre Dame Golden Domer defensive back, Alohi Gilman, is doing a little bit of everything in the senior bowl, covering, hitting, running around out there, making plays. He's been fun to watch as well. And the last guy I want to talk about here is the UCLA cornerback, who I talked about Dane Jackson competing but getting beat a few times. Darnay Holmes did the exact same thing, only he won his reps. He and the Vandy receiver, Kalijah Lipscomb, got into a straight fist fight out there. That was pretty funny. And he was the only one that could really handle Van Jefferson, the Florida true technician who runs the best routes out there. He liked his makeup a whole lot because, again, he competes, he tackles, and he tracks the ball the way you'd prefer in this Dolphins defense in that man coverage role. So those are the notes. I'll be watching the practice again on Thursday. If you guys have any questions, just hit me up on Twitter. I'll have the tweet deck available so you can get in touch with me. I'll try to answer as many questions as I can out there. And before we get out of here today, I wanted to do a segment on a player that I think could be surprise draft day fallers guys that we maybe originally thought were top 10 picks that could be there at 18, or maybe guys we thought would be in that 15-20 range that could fall down to pick 26 and so on and so forth. But since we're going to run short on time here on the podcast, we'll save that for another day but I'll tell you about the player that inspired this segment for me and I told you guys that Daniel Jeremiah has his top 50 out go check that out. It's Andrew Thomas from Georgia, the left tackle. He was number 26 on DJ's Top 50. The Draft Network guys were talking about him being a quick set offensive tackle because he doesn't have the elite footwork. Laramie Tunzel, he is not, but what he can do is blow people off the ball, get into quick pass sets, and win that way. And I think that's becoming more and more commonplace for people to have Jedrick Wills, the Alabama right tackle, and Tristan Wirfs, the Iowa right tackle slash left tackle slash some folks project him to play guard at the next level, and also Makai Becton, if he goes ahead of Andrew Thomas, then it's definitely within reason that the fourth offensive tackle in the draft could fall to the 18th pick, and that to me would be tremendous value because in this offense we know that Brian Flores wants to run the football, they need a left tackle, and Andrew Thomas has the experience to really step in day one and be your starting left tackle on this offense, and in a quick set offense, a quick pass offense, what's better than Andrew Thomas, who bullies people in the running game and can win the quick set pass reps too so andrew thomas makes a lot of sense again we'll see where he goes i know the tdn mock draft had him number four to the giants because like miami dave gettleman wants guys that can win the running game and blow folks off the ball we have a bunch of interesting dynamics in this draft coming up to discuss luckily we still have three more months to do it and on tomorrow's locked on dolphins podcast i'm gonna do another mock draft let's go ahead and call it a five round mock draft but as for today's show that is going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday Senior Bowl Practice Recap Edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose